And if you're going to stay with us, let's get Daniel chapter 3, please. Daniel chapter 3. Guys, we're still adjusting a little bit. We're trying to balance this out with the fans, <clears throat> the heat, and the volume. So you guys in the back, can you hear me okay? If I, if I keep it at about this level, we're still good with that? All right, Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. Continuing our verse-by-verse study. Last week we started chapter 3. Let me quickly remind you, verses 1 to 7. Theater to threat. Play the music, bow down, or die. And then verses 8 to 18. Perseverance to persecution. If you're going to take a stand, be ready to make the sacrifice. And then today, by the grace of God, we'll finish the chapter, verses 19 to 30. Rage to reverence. Rage to reverence. And you'll see how Nebuchadnezzar moves from one to the other. In verse 19, it says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Before this, he was full of curiosity. He heard that there were these Jews, and right, the accusation was that all the Jews have this rule that they don't bow down to other gods. Come to find out there were only three of them not bowing down. You might recognize that Daniel is not mentioned in the chapter. Have you guys noticed that? He's not part of the story. Why is that? Did he bow down? I mean, some people surmise that. I I don't think that's the case. Daniel, bear in mind, was in the king's gate. So the people called to bow down to this image were provincial leaders down. If you're in the king's gate, that, that would be the same as Nebuchadnezzar bowing down. So Nebuchadnezzar was, was um, free from this rule. He didn't have to bow down, and the men in the gate, neither did they. So that's why Daniel is excused from this chapter, from this story, if you will. But Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about these three Jews that are not going to bow down, and he's curious. Guys, am I hearing this right? You're not going to bow down? Even though I've said you're going to die? King, We don't even have to think about it. We're not going to bow down. We don't even need to pray about it. We'd rather die than bow down to your God. And it goes from curiosity, right, to this rage. He's full of fury. The Bible says in the form of his visage, that's the way his face looked, the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Before, he did have respect for these men. Back in chapter 2, right, he knew about them. He had respect for them, but now all that's changed. It says here, Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Want is an old English word. It means known. It was was not known to be that hot. So his, his visage changed. He was curious, and now he's a rage monster. This, the first time we see a man's visage or his countenance is the other biblical word for this, his countenance change is in Genesis chapter 4. You guys remember who it was that had his countenance change? It was Cain. Cain and Abel bring an offering. Abel received respect from the Lord for the offering that he brought because he brought of the firstlings of the flock. The blood of the lamb will always please God. Cain, on the other hand, brought the fruit of the ground, the work of his hands. Your works will never save you. But that's what he brought. And the Bible says the Lord did not respect Cain nor his offering. He didn't get the respect that he thought he deserved. And the Bible says his his countenance fell 
and he was angry. He was, he was frustrated with the Lord. It started with Cain. All the way through, right, this is the reaction all the way through the Bible, all the way through human history. When a narcissist, I'm using the secular word for it, when a narcissist doesn't get his or her way, this is the reaction. They just pitch a full-on hissy fit. I mean, that's not a biblical term, but you understand what a hissy fit is. They just dunk you, why don't you, why don't you, you know, and they start making TikTok videos and posting themselves, you know, on Instagram, and why don't everybody like me, and just calm down. Nebuchadnezzar is a classic narcissist. Now, I, I am not one, I, I understand, you know, people, we use terms like that, I get it. It's a psychological uh, diagnosis to say he's a narcissist. Uh, uh, the word narcissist means a self-centered antagonistic personality, having excessive interest in one's physical appearance or image, the way others view you, and an excessive preoccupation with one's own needs, often at the expense of others. The Bible has another word for narcissist, right? You're vain. Paul says, let nothing be done through vain glory. Don't quit putting yourself first, giving yourself the preeminence, thinking that the world revolves around you. So the word vain is what you'll see in the Bible. And uh, I think it would be a good idea to get back to using biblical terms, right? We, we like to soften the blow whenever it comes to sin. <clears throat> Instead of calling a man with a drinking problem, you'll say he's an alcoholic. Well, amen, I get it. I know. Alcoholic is a fine term, but how about we say drunkard? I mean, that, that really... That really gets the point across, right? Oh, she's sleeping around. He's sleeping around. No, you're a whoremonger. You're a fornicator. You know, oh, he stepped out on his wife. No, you're an adulterer. <laughs> but as soon as you say things like that, everybody just kind of starts, oh, boy, this is serious. No, no, that's just Bible. But people want to soften that kind of stuff down. So he's a narcissist, yes, but he's vain. He's full of himself, right? Full of himself. And that's the reaction. I didn't get my way, so I'm going to pitch a fit. Now he says, heated up seven times more. I don't know, did they have a gauge on the furnace? That, you know, <laughs> how did they register that? I'm not sure. Uh, I, when you see the word seven in the Bible, it is the number of completeness. So Nebuchadnezzar might be communicating the thought, heat the furnace completely hot. Get, make it as hot as it possibly can be. Perhaps he's communicating that. Maybe they had some way to measure seven times more. Because if you put a, a pile of coal into a fire, maybe you put seven piles in. So there may, there may be a way to measure that. Just look at verse 22. You can see another way that they referred to it. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot. right? So not so much a particular temperature, but just really completely hot, as hot as it can be. All right, so chapter 3, verse 20 now. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Why the most mighty men? These are older teenagers, perhaps young 20s. Okay, maybe they're a little bit strong, but why do you need the most mighty men in your army to come and bind them? What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just did, that takes a lot of courage. So I don't know how big they were physically. I don't know how strong they were physically, but they had some guts. They had some intestinal fortitude. And, and when you find people this courageous, in Neb's mind, they, 
This much courage demands the most mighty men in my army to go up against them. All right, so verse number 21, Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats. I, I can't help but think of Germans, right? In the, in the Lederhosen, and I just, you know, clopping around with wooden shoes, you know, this Dutch kind of look. I can't help but think that. Bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments. This is the Babylonian style at the time. And were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Their clothing is pointed out because in about well, 10, 7, 7, 8, 10 verses, it will be important again. All right, that's why it's pointed out. So we'll circle back around to that point. In verse 22, therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not have a chance, right? The kings said, get them in that fire quickly. They didn't have a chance to approach the fire and go, oh, you know how you get, I've, everybody has a different way of testing the bry, right? If you can hold your hand over it, you know, this, at, at this distance for seven seconds, then it's ready to, I, I've heard, I, I can see some of you going, no, 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 it's not seven, it's five. And you know, they, I don't know, you make up your own system, but everybody has a system for how they know when the coals are ready to cook. In America, it's when the flames are flying up out of the top of the bry. Then you put the meat on. That's how I do it. <laughs> I want that thing flame-kissed. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I can, I can roll American style. You can do it your way. <laughs> they didn't have time to check. So they didn't realize at this temperature, if we even get close, we're going to die. They thought, no, no, we'll have time, we'll have space. Because normally they could approach the fire, throw a person in, and make it away, maybe sweating a little, but... Okay, not in this case. That flame was so hot, it took out the strongest of Nebuchadnezzar's men. I think there's a wonderful picture, spiritual lesson drawn here. Spiritual courage beats physical courage any day. You just, you've got, you cannot ignore this. You have to factor in the grace of God. Say, I'm a strong guy, I can take a lot. Well, perhaps you can. Perhaps you're built in such a way where you can get through quite a bit just on your own internal strength. But at a certain point, the grace of God is going to get you farther than you ever thought you could go. And the mightiest people in the world, the richest, the smartest, that will only get them so far. Standing for God and the grace of God will take you farther than anybody thought possible. And this has been proven, by the way, not just in this kind of story, many, many times throughout history. There, were, there are so many stories of this where Christians were arrested in the early days of the church, taken to the Roman Colosseums, and they were bound. Sometimes they were burned alive. Other times they were fed to the lions. And numbers of, numbers of stories where the soldiers, they let the lions loose or they light the fire and those Christians sing or those Christians preach while they're burning, while they're being eaten, as the lions are coming, they're standing there and singing and, and smiling and praising God. And the stories go that these Roman soldiers, not once or twice, but dozens of times, would say, me next. Based on that, I also, I could never do this. I could never give myself, that, that takes more courage than I've ever heard of. And they would convert to Christianity, accept Christ as their Savior, and go stand amongst the Christians and let the lion attack them 
or let some other soldier tie them up and light the fire. What a testimony. What a te- so God's grace has been sufficient in so many cases like this. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But verse number 23, it says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They went in helpless, right? Their, their hands were tied. Does life ever make you feel like that? Do you ever feel like I have no control over what's happening to me? Did these men? They were tied up. Other men were carrying them up whatever ramp or whatever it was to their death. They, they were completely helpless. And sometimes it feels like that. Where I, I feel like I'm fighting this, this battle in my life with my hands tied behind my back. And, and I can't even walk. I'm, I'm, my legs are tied together. I'm just hopping through life, barely making it. Did you know Jesus knows exactly how you feel? Because there was a time in his life where they tied his hands. Remember when they came to him in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's out there praying and the soldiers come. Judas kisses him. The Bible says those, those soldiers bound him. And there he is standing at that mock trial at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And they blindfold him and they slap him in the face and they're ripping his beard out. And they're mocking him saying, Who smacked you? Prophesy unto us. He knows exactly how you feel to be helpless, to be as, as a lamb led to the shearers. He, he understands. And if tying his hands up was not enough, eventually they nailed his hands to a cross. They nailed his feet to a cross. You talk about helpless. He knows how it feels to be thrown to the wolves and let the wicked hands of the world bind you to where I I just can't get out of this. What can I do? They know how it feels to be helpless. They're helpless. But verse 24, I'm so glad for this verse. This passage speaks so loudly to our condition. Verse 24, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonied. Now the word astonied is an old English word to mean exceedingly amazed. Astonied means he is made like a stone. Have you ever been so surprised that you just go... (gasps) And, and you freeze. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You even stop breathing for a second. That's a stonied. So he sees what's going on, and, and he's stuck. He was a stonied, and then it says he rose up in haste, and he spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He says, Guys, help me with my math here. I'm pretty sure I counted one, two, three. Yes. And the counselors, they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. I mean, this isn't hard. One, two, three, right? <laughs> yes, we, count, we put three in the fire. Verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. What Nebuchadnezzar sees and all these counselors sees, what a testimony. You know, when you're going through something, you may not realize it, but other people are watching you move through that difficulty, and your testimony is making a difference out there. You're in the fiery furnace, but it's touching somebody else's heart. Now, now let's dig into this just a little bit. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 
in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he is not referring to Jesus Christ. You and I read that and immediately we think Jesus Christ. Rightfully so. However, Nebuchadnezzar is thinking this is an angel. In the Old Testament, it was common to refer to angels as sons of God, okay? Because they were direct creations of God. You can see this in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel. Okay, so in Neb's mind, this is an angel. He refers to him as the Son of God because it's one angel. Now he is speaking Syriac. We also call that language Aramaic. And in Aramaic, it is perfectly fine to translate it as the Son of God. When you get to the New Testament, you do find out that on occasion, in the Old Testament, and even in the New, Jesus can appear in an angelic form. That, that is simply to say that the body he appears in is an angelic body, right? It is the person of Jesus, but in an angelic form. Throughout the Old Testament, Jehovah appears from time to time as an, the angel of the Lord. So this is not unusual to see somebody referred to as the Son of God, this, and it's an angelic form, but it is Jesus. But of course, the man Jesus hasn't come to the earth yet, so they wouldn't know him by that name. So we are able to read this story knowing who the Son of God is and read that back into the story. So I'm perfectly fine to say this was Jesus meeting with them in the fire. No one, no one expected this to happen, right? And when I say no one, not even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expected this to happen. They went into the fire. Didn't they say, if we die, hey, we die. That's the way you want to go through life. Lord, I'm going to be obedient. Even if things don't turn out the way I want them, I'm going to do it your way. Because the measure of success is not how much money you get or how many promotions you get. or, or it's, it's not those earthly, worldly, temporary, secular goals the goal of life, how we measure success is did you do what God told you to do? And these men were obedient even unto death. Isn't that what Jesus did? Paul said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation took upon himself the form of a servant was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. That's the mind we should have in ourselves. I will obey even if it means some rough stuff ahead. They did not expect that in the midst of their most fiery trial, they would have their closest encounter with God ever. Here's what we do. God, I want to be closer to you. I want to see you work in my life. The answer to that prayer might be a fiery furnace. Many of God's people, they look at what, they, they hear the stories of martyrs like I gave you earlier, you know, the lions and the fire, and they think, man, if that were me, I, I, I couldn't handle that. And amen, with the grace you have right now today, the grace God is giving you today is enough for you today. And when you enter into the fiery furnace, you will experience another level of God's grace, help, and mercy. Back in the day, this is in the 1500s, I think it was four people, but the number's not important. They were sentenced to death. They were going to be burned at the stake. They, they, this was at the hand of the Roman Catholic Church. They were, this was part of the Inquisition. 
These other people were being burned simply because they believed you should be saved by faith and then baptized after you get saved. And because of this, they were going to die. So one of them, one of the group, they were scheduled to be executed on on one day and then the other friends were going to follow the next day. They were all given a chance to recant, that is to say I changed my mind, at any moment. All the way up until they light the fire, you can change your mind. So they made a pact. They made a deal. They said this is, they they were scared. They said we don't know if we can handle this, this much pain. We are thinking of quitting. So they told the first guy, when you get tied up and they light the fire, let us know, give us a signal to say that the grace of God is sufficient to get you through that. Just let us know somehow. And he said, okay, I'll do my best. He said, what will you do? He said, I will clap my hands above my head. Now he's going to be tied up to a post. He said, if if God is as strong as we claim he is, that'll be the sign. That, That way you know it's not just me, it's God. The next day, he went to the stake. They tied him up. They lit the fire. The three friends were obviously, or however many there were, standing very nearby. And the man begins to burn. And I don't want to be too graphic, but it gets bad. After a while, actually burning at the stake is one of the more merciful ways to die because it, it burns the nerve endings to where you stop feeling pain after a while. So it looks horrible. It smells horrible. But actually, that person is, is not experiencing as much pain as you might think but it's still bad. Again, try not to be too graphic. The fire burned the rope away. So this man's hands went limp by his side for a while. He was singing and praying, and then as the fire took over his tongue, it burned away his tongue. His tongue melted away. His fingers burned off, and his body just slumped over. No sign. And then as the fire continued to do its work, The man popped up, his head popped up, and he took his nubs, no fingers, no thumbs, he took his palms and started to clap them above his head as hard as he could, as many times as he could, until the fire completely consumed him, and then he went down. The next day, his friends followed in his steps, and they finished their course with great fortitude. The grace of God is sufficient. You don't know just how much God can help you until you're in the midst of the fire. And these men didn't know. On my worst day, God is right there. He is going to be so close to me, closer than I ever thought. You don't need to go seeking out fiery furnaces. They will find you. And you will also find the Son of God in the midst of them. In verse number 26, let's continue our story then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said Shadrach Meshach and Abednego ye servants of the most high God come forth and come hither then Shadrach Meshach and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire now it seems like a pretty straightforward verse right they commanded by the king come out they came out Let's do a little math here. How many men came out? Three. I mean, I'm, we're doing the Nebuchadnezzar thing. Help, help me with my math. Three men came out. How many were in the fire? Where's the fourth man? He's still in the fire. He didn't come out. You know why he's there? Waiting on you. 
because one day you'll be in the midst of a very fiery trial and he's right there to help you. This, this point jumped off the page to, to many a people, but somebody made a song about it and God help me, my voice is not strong enough to sing it this morning. So I'm just gonna give you the lyrics to it. But uh, it sounds really good if you, if you sing this with a, a, an American redneck um, twang to it, you know, right? So, my mama read a story in the Bible long ago. That, that kind of thing. You gotta kind of hear it like that, all right? So my mama read a story in the Bible long ago about Shadrach, Meshach, and old Abednego. How the wicked king commanded that they be thrown into the flame because they would not bow and then deny their father's name. My mama said the king stood high upon a balcony so tall. When he looked in, he was shocked by all the things he saw because he thought that he would find them lying dead upon the ground. But instead of three, he counted four up walking all around. Then I said, Mama, wait a minute. There's one thing that I must know. If three men went in and three came out, then where'd that fourth man go? And I never will forget Mama danced around the floor. These are the words I heard her say while shouting through the door. She said, he's still in the fire and he's walking in the flames and he'll be there to help you when you call upon his name. And he can still deliver by his almighty power while here below it's good to know he's still in that fire. Oh now my friends, you may be destined to face life's hottest flames but I'm glad that I can tell you through the power of His name, not one flame will touch you. You'll come through it and you'll tell. Yesterday, today, forever, God's still alive and well. Amen. Amen. That's, there's a lot of truth in that song. There's a lot of relevance in this story to our lives. Take your Bible, hold of this, and get 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, let's get verse number 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, obviously, Peter's referring to actual fire right many of these christians were burned at, at the stake in these early days nero he was the king at the time or the emperor of rome at the time peter wrote this nero would kill christians by impaling them he, he would put a stake in the ground and put the christian on that stake and then light the, dip him in a special oil or uh, animal fat and light it on fire and the christians were used as candles they would, like streetlights, up and down the streets of, of Rome and, and other cities. So when he says, think it not strange, this is going to happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at some level, in some way, if you stand for Christ, this is going to happen. Think it not strange. Matter of fact, let's say it like this. You should think it's strange if it never happens to you. And I'm not talking about the problems of life. Let's be very clear here. I'm not talking about, you know, paying bills and getting a sickness and a flu. I mean, those things are going to happen. You understand? Life happens to everybody, saved or lost. Let, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about you standing for Jesus Christ, stand, loving righteousness and hating iniquity 
and then suffering something for it, even if it is simply somebody mocks you for it. Maybe a workmate sneers at you and says, who do you think you are? Even that, you should not think it's strange. We should think it's strange if it never happens. You ought to, you ought to actually check your life and say, what, how is it that I get along with everybody in the world? Okay, let me, let me show you a verse on that. I see I got your attention there. Look, look at Luke chapter 6. He said, but I thought that was the point. I thought we were supposed to be friends with everyone. Hey, you be friendly with everyone. You treat everybody right. You love them. Amen. Are we clear on this? I'm not telling you we should be a jerk and rude to people. If people hate you because you're a jerk, that's on you, man. Be nice. <laughs> be a Christian. Be loving. Right? Amen. But you stand for Christ and tell people you need to be saved. You must be born again. Are we not supposed to tell people that? Right? Are we not supposed to walk in wisdom toward them that are without? Are we not supposed to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves? We should be trying to get the gospel to people. And I say, oh boy, I'm preaching now. Shame on you if you're not trying to get the gospel to people. Shame on you if you hold back because you're afraid of offending somebody. Well, what if they're not my friend anymore if I tell them about Christ? What if you let them die and go to hell because you were too worried about your reputation and friendships? That relationship they have with God way outweighs your relationship with them. Luke 6. Luke 6. Verse 20. Five. Uh, no, 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 no. Verse 26. Luke 6, verse 26. Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. I, guys, that can't be any more clear. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Why? The false prophets, they weren't really prophets, they were politicians. Tickling ears, telling people what they wanted to hear instead of what God said. All right, that's enough preaching. Come back to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. So that fourth man, he's still in the fire. And he's there for you. No matter what you're going through, he's there for you. Verse 27, And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. The clothing that they had was not affected. That's why they mentioned it earlier to say they came out. Listen, they came out better than how they went in. Now in this particular case, even physically, they came out better than how they went in. Now, that's not always true. Sometimes you'll go through something and it will leave you physically weaker or, or physically there's some pain, but spiritually you will be stronger, right? It, we know this. When I'm weak, then I'm strong, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We, we understand that. Jesus, after he rises up from the grave, he still has the marks, right? So it, it, you can see where the trouble happened. The apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So sometimes that physical trauma is left behind. You feel it for a while. It leaves a mark. But then there are those special occasions where God is using you as a trophy of His grace. 
And he's going to bring you through in such a way to where the, everybody watching stands back and says, there is no way you came out of this unscratched. How did that happen? They went in bound, didn't they? They came out unbound. They went, they went in tied up. They came out better than how they went in. You know, there are a lot of people that are bound to certain sins. And they just can't get over it. You know what it might take to burn that bondage of sin away? A fiery trial. You need to take a serious stand for your faith to say, that's it. No more. I don't care what it costs me. God, I'm, I'm submitting to you. Doesn't matter what other people say. And you will find the victory you've been looking for all these years is waiting in the midst of, of, of a very hot, fiery furnace. Just depends on how much you want victory. You take a stand for God, and I promise, although it might be scary, you will come out better than how you went in. You'll come out praising God and a testimony to all that behold it. In verse number 28, we read here, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, you know you did something right. You know God's at work when even the enemy is now saying, Praise God. <laughs> blessed, be the God. blessed be their God. <laughs> Now, Jehovah is not Nebuchadnezzar's God at this point. Let's not, let's not get confused on that. But he recognizes the great power of their God. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. So the word was they must die. Now they obviously cannot. And yielded their bodies now, you should put a note in your Bible right there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You guys know that verse? Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Yes, you guys know that? So there it is. Yielded their bodies. Great example of what we should do. That they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Nebuchadnezzar, he's on to something here. If I can say the same statement, but in another way. God must be happy with the sacrifice these men made. Blessed be God that did these things. God must be, blessed is happy. God must be happy with what these guys did. Ladies and gentlemen, you make that sacrifice. That is just your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, verse 2. That's the next verse. Standing against the world. God, I'll do it your way, not their way. There's something about that. that even the world says, your God must be very happy with you. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that every people and nation and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar has issues, eh? This guy's sadistic. He's, he's got some power issues. He says, shall be cut in pieces, and if that wasn't enough, and their houses shall be made a dunghill. So that becomes the public toilet, if you will. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Well, amen. Neb, you're right about that. No other God can do this. But again, let's be careful to listen 
to what he said and, and examine it carefully. He did not become exclusive. Nebuchadnezzar did not say, the Most High God, Jehovah, is the only God and all the gods we have here in Babylon must be false. He, he didn't come out and say that. That's where we need to get to. Right? The, matter of fact, there's a, a, almost half of the planet is not to that statement yet. In India, they have 330 million different gods. 330 million. So one of the challenges to preaching in India is, is when you give them the truth, they don't mind the idea of Jesus. This sounds great. Somebody that can come and die and come back from the dead. Sounds very good to me. Yes, I'll take him. Take him. I'll take him twice. Thank you. Thank you. And they take Jesus and, they, and the, you can see it. You go in their houses and they have uh, Krishna, Shiva, and Brahma. And they have all these gods represented. And then they have a picture of Jesus or a statue of Jesus. He's just lined up with the other gods. So, so they don't deny him. right? They, they give Jesus his props and say, yeah, shop, he's, he's great. But, but these other gods, you know, we can still hang on to them. That's, and I want to be clear, that's not the way it works with Jesus Christ. He's an all or nothing kind of guy. He's not here to negotiate with us and say, okay, you keep a little bit what you want, then I'll put in my two cents. No, no, no. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, I don't mean to get into my sermon, but this will be part of what I'm preaching today. Guys, be very careful about negotiating with the Lord. Be very careful that you're not hanging on to some of your little gods. So what do you mean by little gods? Things that control parts of your life. God needs to be in control of every part of it. You need to be in complete submission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's your intellect, your emotions, your, your will, your, all of it. You don't say, okay, God, I'll give you 80%, 70%, but these little things I'm going to do my way. Don't touch my marriage. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. Don't touch my job. Be careful. Don't be a Nebuchadnezzar and say, yeah, God is great. Amen. Praise the Lord. But, you know, I got some other things. The Bible says covetousness is idolatry. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't give up his idolatry. Now, one last thing to finish the chapter. It says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So you can drop this perhaps and get the book of Psalms, chapter 75. Psalm, chapter 75. So now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get another promotion. You might remember there, the first time they got promoted is in chapter 1. Remember that? They, they ate the pulse and drank the water. They didn't eat the king's meat or drink. And after 10 days, they looked better than it. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get promoted. Then in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to kill all the wise men because they can't tell me the dream and interpret it. Daniel and his buddies pray. They give the interpretation. They get promoted. So every, every time... There's a promotion. It is preceded by a threat on their life. It's not going to be that way for you. <laughs> okay. Don't think that the only way I can get promoted is if I get my life threatened and it's some massive standard. Please don't think that this becomes the template by which we're always going to get promoted. So if I go through something horrible, if I stand for my faith, then God's going to give me a promotion at work. 
That is how it turned out for them, yes, but that is not a promise that God has given every one of us. I will tell you this, you stand faithfully now in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When he comes back to this earth and establishes his kingdom, you will reign with him. You will be given authority over ten cities, five cities. You will be rewarded. But don't think that you're going to have an earthly promotion every time you go through something and, and, and you're faithful. Now, when it comes to promotions, let's just be clear on where this comes from ultimately. Psalm 75, verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. So you notice the north isn't mentioned there because God's in the north. Right? So God is the judge who putteth down one and setteth up another. So ultimately, it is God who is allowing you to make this progress at your workplace. So just be aware of that. If you work hard and receive a promotion, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. As Christians, we are allowed to be ambitious. We're just not supposed to make that our chief goal in life. But we should do good work. And if you do work worthy of promotion and you get it, make sure that you praise God for it. Because ultimately, He's the one that puts you in that certain position. All right, let's all stand if you would, please. And let's have our heads bowed. Let's pray. And then we'll let you guys fellowship for a bit. Father, we thank you this morning that uh, no matter what problems are represented here, no matter um, what kind of stand we have to take, whether it's today or one day in the future, that you're still in the fire. And Lord, it's, it's a very comforting thought to know that no matter what we're going through, you feel our infirmities. You are touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our, our afflictions. And Lord, we're, we're thankful that you care that much to always be there for us. Help us with our service to come. Bless our fellowship now in Jesus' name.